Yet another movie about the nightmare of having children. This is uh, Luke Who's Talking Now, and this is Truly Rotten Tomatoes. As always, I am Mitch Gosling. Shout out to my salsa. And with me are my friends. Uh, let's let's sound off in a, in a clockwise... <laughs> no, you know what? Yeah, in a clockwise fashion. So you say this, but we're on Skype, and, we're on and Skype everyone could moment. have a different... Cl- like, everyone could have a different array of force panels worth of... That's right. For example, for me, clockwise is right to left. (laughs) For me, it's um, up to down. Declan, what does your clock say? (laughs) Okay, my clock says my name's Declan and I'm one of the co-hosts of Truly Rotten Tomatoes. I'm the funny, cute guy that all the ladies want to be and all the fellas are jealous of. (laughs) And who's next in your clockwise screen, Mitch? Listen, man, just sound off, all right? (laughs) (laughs) I don't need this. All right, it's your boy... The H-Dog, the H-Dizzle, born and raised on these rough canvas streets. Glad to be back on the pod with my boys. I feel like every um, intro you give more information. Like, you just said where you were born and raised. Is that part of the bio now? <laughs> um, I'm gluten intolerant. <laughs> it better be my true. My birthday is in September, but I'll never tell which day. Shout out to my tomatoes. It's, I, like how <laughs> I like how we're rolling with that. Really tacked that on at the end. <laughs> I think that was mine as well. I, it was. I, I stole it. <laughs> I can't remember who my fans are. They're the Haydenologists or the Haydenochondriacs. <laughs> the Haydenochondriacs. Anyway, let's go with Morgan next. And, and Morgan, yeah, let's let's get a <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Can uh, uh, all right, just just fucking go, Morgan. All right. <laughs> Sorry, and I really. It's me. It's Morgan. The cunning one of the gang. <laughs> the one... Uh, speaking of clocks, do you guys remember the Rocket Clock theme song from Play School? It was wild. Yes. Oh, so sick. That was Sweet Child of Mine. Breathtaking, breathtaking. And we do have a very special guest... Uh, he requires no introduction, but if you were to ask for one, I would say he is a musician, uh, he's a writer, he is a very nice man. I've met him before, and he's, he's just very sweet. Uh, his name is Canberra's Nick Delatovich. He's Canberra's own. That's my full name. Uh, <laughs> it's so nice to see and hear you again. Uh, it's been too long. Um, yeah, uh, yes, uh, great to be here. I have to say, guys... Um, I listen to all my podcasts on double speed. So uh, after listening to a bunch of uh, truly rotten tomatoes like that, you guys sound impossibly sluggish and uh, moby right now. <laughs> well, I'm glad you mentioned that because a couple of us tend to watch the movies that we review, or rather the tomatoes that we review, in double speed or one and a half speed. It's the only way to get through some of the movies and I guess some of our episodes as well. Truly, it's the way. I mean, the, the thing is, human beings on double speed are all uh, pithy geniuses. Like it's yeah, the right. type, it's the type of world you want to live in. Now, Nick, you've got a varied background. I know Mitch said you were a, a musician and a performer. Um, you're also a wrestling champion. Which part of your background are you representing tonight? Um, I feel like my 
Uh, co-host Chris would be really annoyed at me if I didn't uh, front load that I was representing his and my podcast, uh, Rank Ideas, which is the um, podcast uh, in which we are ranking every human idea uh, systematically from best to worst in a giant list. <laughs> but um, yeah, the... Uh, you know, I do insist on making it really hard for people to decide how to intro me by doing doing at least four different things. Can I ask with rank ideas, have you already got the predefined ranking and you've started at the bottom of it or are you making up the ranking as you go along? Great question. Like is each episode a different a different number on the rank? We do every every episode we decide at the top of the episode we just have a, a very compellingly disorganized chat to decide what uh, idea we want to talk about that day and then we talk about that from for however long uh, we need to to decide uh, what we think about it, and then we rank it on the list. So basically, the, it's a running list where every ep- uh, the second half-ish of each episode is about deciding where it goes in a okay. relative position gotcha. to the ideas that we've already ranked. Very cool. And that'll be the first and last time any other podcasts are mentioned on this podcast <laughs> ever. Yeah. De- De- Declan explicitly told me not to <laughs> not to talk about my podcast or or the fact that any other podcasts exist. That's right. Um, we will need to <laughs> censor the name every time it comes. <laughs> yeah. Up. yeah. Can we just bleep all that? Um, now, Nick, can I ask you? Did you um, firstly? Did you watch the film? Yes, I. Uh, I feel like um, the what? Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm very sorry uh, for the uninitiated. Uh, oh no! Yeah, uh, I, I, that I am, was a trick. I am, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, of course, referring to the vegetable or fruit a film. Um, <laughs> um, now, <laughs> <laughs> I definitely. I I'm trying to cut back on uh, films in my diet, but I definitely watched. Uh, the tomato in question for today's episode. Excellent. And what tomato was <laughs> um, it? Oh, if, if, do I get to say that we watched? Yes. That we watched for this uh, celebrated tomato. Look who's talking now. Um, I don't know who's celebrating it, but I have questions <laughs> for them. This is the third one. This is the third is one. Is it the, in the third one? Right. Yeah. Yep. It's okay. the third. Right. Look who's talking. And the final. Third of The third three. and final. So, the third and final. The end of the trilogy. <laughs> it's like, the, you know, the Lord of the Rings, right. the Matrix. It all comes down to this. This is this is the Mount Doom. The ring gets dropped. <laughs> Danny DeVito stars as a, as a gruff Every dog. Every question you had left over from the first two. <laughs> <laughs> Finally. So what do, you, what do you guys think the second one is? Obviously, the first one is baby. I think I know what it baby. is. I think it's the first one is is one baby. The second uh, one is is second uh-huh. baby, and then this one is animals. That's beautiful stuff. <laughs> now, what if the first one was babies, the second one was John Travolta, <laughs> and then the third one was dogs? John Travolta <laughs> after a horrible no, brain injury, like reloading. No, it's, no, it's, it's Eddie Murphy as the voice of John Travolta. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, the internal monologue of John Travolta. <laughs> All right, who here has seen any of these other Look Who's Talking? I think, like, peripherally in my very early childhood, I saw these things and probably enjoyed them when I was a kid. I, I have vague memories of John Travolta doing very... Sw- I described this as a... John Travolta at his very sweetest. He's a very sweet actor in this. Yeah, he's a really yeah. good dude. I was so glad to see John Travolta back on my screen after a long... <laughs> break of about eight films that we've watched <laughs> has it been that long Jeez. well i don't know yeah, the, I so the first the first film we watched was um staying alive, staying alive. alive. but Many hayden listeners. missed wild hogs that's why he's been oh, missing him so right, much we I got a bit of travolta in the middle there 
just a, just a taste. Yeah. You've gotten some really varied uh, Travolta energy across those it's three crazy. tomatoes. That's right. And, and there's heaps more as well on this list. There's more to come. <laughs> yeah, later on, Gotti. But he, I, I've, I, I've seen this particular movie, like, heaps. <laughs> I, really? Oh, as a kid. Yeah, this one. I didn't realize it was the third one. I, 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 I remember loving it as a kid. Um, there wasn't much for... We'll get into it, but there wasn't much for me there tonight, unfortunately, when I just rewatched it. But I do remember really liking this movie. And I also remember thinking that it was the second one. But I was wrong. Wow. <laughs> Kids, huh? <laughs> I have three notes written for this movie. And I think we can start from the first note that I've written here. Because it's at the very beginning of the film and it's... It's the way that the film opens. The the note is two words. It's dog sperm. Do you guys remember this? Yeah. yeah. And I vividly remember this from when I was a kid as well. Is is this just the protagonist dog having a having a fuck? Is that what's happening at the beginning of this film? Is that why we're seeing all these sperm flying towards an egg? It's the dog. It's the Lothario dog that we briefly meet. Um, that ends up being Rox's dad. I think it's his sperm. Yeah, right. That's right. Now they're all they're all voiced by Danny DeVito, though, aren't they? All the <laughs> no. sperm. All the- <laughs> I don't think they're all. I don't think they're all Danny DeVito, but the oh. winner. The winner really is. DeVito actually did ADR for every character in the film. He's he's just he, he's, he has that range. He's a master. And every time you hear like a car drive past, it's Danny DeVito's voice. <laughs> 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 All right, so we should give some quick background into into what this is. Basically, it, yeah, it's the third installment of a long-running series where John Travolta uh, is in a relationship with Kirstie Alley and they don't mention Scientology once, even though they both are Scientologists, of course. Mm. And I guess the whole gag of the other two and this tomato is that characters who can't talk or shouldn't be talking... Well, look at them because they are now. <laughs> and they're not in a good CGI. Their mouth doesn't actually move. It's just straight up voiceover. They don't even pretend to try and make them do any like puppetry or anything. It's just taking shots of, in this case, dogs running around the street and then having Danny DeVito be like, hey, how's it going, honey? I'm going to, I want to sleep with you and I'm going to eat food out of the bin. And Diane Keaton as well as the female dog. Yes. Yeah. An all-star so cast. it's an all-star cast. It's, it yeah. literally it's, is. It, um, there, there's some. There's some ridiculously <laughs> heavyweight uh, character actors, just like Olympia Dukakis, whose name, at the very least, is one of the heavyweight character actor names. Um, as as the, <laughs> yeah. as the grandma, as the um, as the grandma, oh. and yeah, uh, yeah, George Seagal, um, as, yes. yep, coming in as is it for like two seconds in a dream sequence. Sorry to jump. Yeah. Sorry to jump so far. Yeah, ahead. I'm. Get, was he a big? Was he a big character in the previous movie? That's right. So the plot of the first Look Who's Talking right. is is Kirstie Alley is dating, I think, her boss, having an affair with her boss, and her boss is George Segal, who, you know, you might know from Just Shoot Me and tons of movies and stuff. And so she's not actually going out with John Travolta in that movie at all, but she's pregnant with George Segal's baby, I believe. And then she John Travolta uh. is like a cab driver from uh, and then and he like helps like kind of deliver the baby and then they start a relationship from then he's the next dancer turned cab driver (laughs) gotcha gotcha so in this one when she has fantasies about george seagal they brought him back and like reprising his character from the original he looked happy to be back oh yeah We, we join we join this family after two movies of having a kid who talked when they shouldn't and then a second kid who talked when they shouldn't 
uh, in that we got to hear there in a dialogue. And we pick up the family. They're living in an apartment. Uh, the young, the older kid, the son, is like, "I want a dog. It's Christmas. I want a dog." Right? That's what that's what, what sets the movie up. The kid wants. Yeah, a dog. the kid from Seventh Heaven. The yeah, the opening shot is like this locked off shot looking down this hallway and both parents are like, you know, they've got their hands full with these kids and one of them's trying to like read it a bedtime story to the daughter or the son and the other one's running around. Oh, no, no, the daughter comes out of the bath and she's covered in like soap and bubbles and she's like, get back here. Um, and it's like, oh, look at this family. They, they love each other, but they, you know, it's they got a handful with these kids. Um, one of the kids is complaining and he's like, I don't want to go to bed. I went to bed last night. How many times a week do I got to go to bed? I hated the beginning of this so much. I was like not into it at all. I was like, oh, this is a real slog. I actually watched about 10 or 15 and turned it off and it was like, I will do this tomorrow. I can't, I can't even do it right now. But the more it went on, the more I actually got into it and I ended up quite liking it. Like oh. it was a lot funnier. Like some of the jokes actually really landed for me. And some of the some of the lines were actually funny, yep. and and I yeah I ended up quite liking this one. John Travolta was a sweetie pie. He was a cutie pie. Uh, it was John Travolta at his sweetest, and he was a cutie pie. What can I say? And Kirsty, the winning John Travolta. Kirsty Ali had like some fantastic facial expressions. I thought her her acting was actually genuinely funny in parts. It's just a shame that none of the jokes themselves were really all that funny. One joke that hit me was um when when John Travolta's trying to convince her to get a dog he asks her if there is ever anything that yeah she really want. can't you remember a time when you were young and you really oh, wanted yes. something this was the and then only it was just like this scrubs-esque cutaway to her as a teenager family guy-esque oh like yeah flashback cutaway yeah and and it just cuts to her as a teenager running into her room screaming i'll never have breasts and that was very funny it got me yeah that was a highlight that was that the first time they did that kind of flashback back cutaway kind of joke because there were they three. did a couple more later on. I think there were three on. or four, but yeah, I think that was the first time and it was the only time it worked. The other two jokes I, I don't think were as memorable or good. Wait, hold on. All right, there's there's one at the end that definitely, <laughs> definitely was memorable, which was John Travolta, like he's later trapped in a cabin during a snowstorm and he, and he thinks about leaving and then he has this flashback cutaway where he's just frozen dead in a block of ice. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. his wife has it's to like pull true. his body out of the morgue and like identify his dead body. Yeah, and, and he's like, "Yeah, I better, I better not go." It's fucking sick. <laughs> this movie, uh, this movie had a real uh, phenomenon of doing like a bunch of classic broad comedy movie devices, but just once each. Like, yeah, one, like, like, like our Family Guy style cutaway gag. A dream, a, a wacky dream sequence that seems that is like out of the ground rules of the rest of the film. Yeah, and yeah, and, and oh, yeah, yeah, like it just, just a, yeah, it was, it was like, yeah, we just want to, we want to hint in the direction of like ten other ways that the storytelling in this movie could have worked. I think that could be said as well for the narrow dog vision, which is applied to oh every time the first, yes. the first person <laughs> perspective is shown. So every time we see from the dog's perspective them looking at their owners. It's in this very narrow, stretched, vertically sort of, you know, like the, the aspect ratio has just been changed to something unnatural. It doesn't make any sense. And it's only shown about three or four times in the film. So it doesn't become enough of a device to make any sense 
uh, or, or even have any use. But it's there. It's there for you to see. Yeah. It feels like a mistake the first couple of times. They, they don't commit to any of the bits, uh, particularly um, as, far, as far as the actual, the language of the Look Who's Talking films. I mean, maybe there was, yeah. maybe there was so much of that in the previous two. There that, must uh, have been, right? Like, there were so many moments in this that was a weird dream sequence, weird kind of fantasy dance sequence. Um, a whole basketball subplot that I don't believe ever went anywhere, but that like <laughs> oh, straight that, to my heart. Yeah, yeah it, it, it well, went I'll places. tell you where it went. It went straight to DVD. Actually, yeah, that was that oh, really strange oh, scene gosh. where the kid imagined she was um, playing Charles Barkley <laughs> at, at basketball. That was kind of cute. Charles Barkley, you're just a wannabe. Yeah, looks like going, Hersby, basketball, Charles. I did notice that the first two films were directed by a woman named Amy Heckling, but this one was uh, directed by a guy called Tom Ropolewski. So I think he was probably trying, you know, f- jumping into the director's shoes. Amy Heckling, I assume, had two hits back to back with the first and second in this series, and then was like, I'm out, I'm not doing a third one. But they're like, well, we still got Travolta, we still got Kirstie Alley, uh, let's bring another guy in. And he was like, I'm going to have to, you know, do some of that look who's talking style. I'm assuming in the kids in those original films had the same kind of like warped perspective of what right. adults look Maybe. like and things. That's a total guess, though. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't seen them. Heckling still had a uh, a script co-write on this. Um, yeah, she was one of the thing. Also, yeah, worth noting that Amy Heckling fairly legendary career. Like she um mm-hmm. was the yeah she made um a, a couple of like huge beloved movies. Like um she was on she worked on Fast Times at Ridgemont High and uh, Clueless. She was the writer director of Clueless. So, oh no yeah. way! Um she's got she's got some like out just some raging runs on the board. And similarly, one of the co-writers of this film. Leslie Dixon has some pretty big uh, movies under her belt as well. She wrote like Mrs. Doubtfire. I think she wrote Freaky Friday, like the, you know, the, the Freaky Friday remake. Uh, she also wrote um, Limitless, the Bradley Cooper movie. Oh, yes. And um, and Hairspray with Travolta. So Travolta must have like, you know, really fucked with her and been like, yo, come in. I'll, I'll, you write me something, I'll, I'll perform it. That's how that's that's their relationship. How did this Just make sure I get to dance? And how did this film in particular uh, fare at the box office? Was, was this one well received? Not well. I mean, obviously it wasn't. Nah. It's a zero percent up, but it, it only made ten million at the box office, Ouch. and its budget was twenty two. So yeah. it didn't even get half. Twenty two million dollars. Jesus Christ. I feel like this movie is most famous uh, for being the movie that people use as the shorthand for the Nadir that um, Travolta's career was in just before he got. Cast Pulp in Pulp Fiction. Fiction. Yes. Really? yes. Well, this is yeah. 93. I thought he was good in this. <laughs> mm. <laughs> he, was, he was fine, but yeah. It's just the bomb. Less about what he was in than how he was in it. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Really, or do you mean the other way yeah, around? The other way around. More right. about yeah, yeah. yeah. He really got to he was show. Good. He was fine in it. He could dance. He got to do some dancing he got to in do this. A dance. And good. he got to fly yeah. airplanes, which yep. he also is wont to yes. do. Yes. Now, I'm going to say that you can jump around this movie all you want because it honestly is a mess. Because, okay, this is what this is all I have to say. This is all I have to say. I have more to say. But this is what I need to say. No, this is all you get to say, so make it good. <laughs> this is all I get to say. Make it count. Mitch's corner. I got one shot. This is my, uh, this is my free throw. This is my Charles Barkley moment. You better Barkley dunk it moment. like Charles Barkley from eight different angles in a row. In time with the music. Um... Which we will come back to. <laughs> okay, so you get a movie about um, new parenthood. Look who's talking. Smash hit. Bruce Willis, 
That's Bruce who it was. I was Whatever. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter. Oh, yeah. Bruce Willis. Yep. Okay. Bruce Willis, I'm a talking baby. Um, <laughs> is there a scene where talking he gets to. circumcised? He's like, what are you doing with that thing down there? I'm sure there is. I, anyway, sorry. I hope not. Let's, I'm let's ruining your only that. chance but to say something. <laughs> this is my one shot. Um, <laughs> the second movie is about what it's like, you know, getting a little sister and like, you know, adapting to a new lifestyle. The third movie is about getting a dog in a recession. Can we talk about the fact that clearly <laughs> what happened with this, I feel like this is the big thing that needs to be acknowledged, is that the filmmaking team that put this film together were desperate and committed to making a movie very much about the interior plight of uh, of an early 90s woman dealing with the pressures of uh, having a husband and family okay. and dealing with um, jealousy and insecurity about whether or not she's still attractive and sexy. The vehicle through which they were allowed to make a film was the Look Who's Talking <laughs> franchise. I, it just it really seems like they were like, yeah, you can do whatever you want, but the dogs have yeah, to talk. Right. <laughs> that, 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 to, that, to me really, that to me really sums up this film is the idea that the dogs, the dogs talking seems like such a total. <laughs> Yeah, disconnected part of (laughs) it's they're desperately trying to tie it in you get like these pretty okay scenes between John Travolta and his family and his wife and stuff and then like you hear a voice and a dog is running around in the background of the scene it's like what the (laughs) fuck was oh that's right the dogs can talk well there's there's also the issue that the two dogs have a relationship with each other that starts off sort of like they don't like each other and then they go out and there's this thing where the bad dog played by Danny DeVito has been destroying the mum's shoes. And then Diane Keaton, who's like the nice, fancy dog, she destroys a shoe to get back at him. And then we're supposed to care about how they feel about each other, but it doesn't impact any of the other characters in any way. And yeah. they can't communicate their plight to the humans as well. Like the talking doesn't matter because they can't get anyone yeah. involved. <laughs> yeah, that that's really important as well because if you haven't seen any of these, the characters can't hear what the what the dogs are saying no. or I assume what the babies are saying. The, only the audience can. So there's just dogs sitting there not moving their mouths, like literally sitting there doing nothing and then we're hearing their inner thoughts, but but the characters can't. And so you've got these these two levels of like plot drama. One of them is quite serious, two people in a marriage one of them who's cheated before, not necessarily on the husband, but Kirstie Alley's character has like a history of cheating. They have these kids together and then they're having these like, do we still love each other? Um, are we? Can we trust each other? What's happening with, with Travolta and his boss? Are they getting too close together? And then you've also got this like very unrelated plot that's Danny DeVito as a dog, like just for a long time just on the streets and then he finally joins the family but they've but they get another dog and then he starts like a relationship with Diane Keaton and only at the very very yeah, end, the dogs right. we should yes, state that the, the, yeah, she's yeah, also yeah, a dog yeah, it's not a bestiality film <laughs> only at the very very end does the fact that the dogs are even there really connect into the the drama of the family as morgan said there's like a small plot point about Danny DeVito can't stop like eating shoes and cause and peeing peeing everywhere in the house as dogs do but it doesn't it takes literally until like the last 10 minutes before the fact that they even have these dogs really affects their lives at all now here's a question for you do you think that dogs can frame each other in the way that Diane Keaton uh, <laughs> framed framed our Danny do you think that that's what dogs are thinking do you think that they they have like a hierarchy structure where they're trying to be the good boy. 
I I really don't know. I mean, I I know that that uh, one of the dogs was the valedictorian uh, of their school. That's right. So apparently, anything's fucking possible. <laughs> yeah, I guess you're right. In this if, movie, if, it, if a dog can go to a school, then it can involve in high. It can be involved in high school politics. Yeah. Exactly. Seems to be. Well, can we talk about the fact that all dogs have accents pertaining to their dog breed? <laughs> Is this right? Does anyone I, does anyone remember yeah, this? So wait, you're saying that um each different breed would have a um an accent that was um consistent across the entire that breed would have. So like, did have. what yeah, what so would like Scottish all, terrier be? Well, are you saying do the accent or? I mean, I just can't think of what Scottish terrier would be. Uh, it'd be like a Scottish person. Oh, yeah, it's, Morgan, it's it's. Okay. It would be Mike Myers doing a Scottish. <laughs> yeah, accent. it would be it's a breed that of dog, bastard. It would be a lot of. Scottish terrier, oh, okay. it's a breed of dog. Yeah. Right, gotcha. Can we get on with the podcast now? <laughs> Sorry, got a bit sidetracked there. I didn't realise. Were there, there were dogs in this film, wasn't there? Oh, I see. There, were, there was. There was an 18-minute romantic comedy between two dogs swimming <laughs> in in a in a 90-minute uh, examination of uh, 30-something right, Malays. Yeah. So, so what are the key points? Uh, Declan, I yeah. think you hit on most of them. Also, Kirstie Alley's, like in the first half of the movie, Kirstie Alley's character loses her job. So they've got financial yeah. problems. And at the same time, John Travolta gets a job and he charms his new boss. Yeah. And then like you, like you were saying, there's like romantic tension between his new boss, who's this sexy 30-year-old woman who, I don't know what the fuck she does. She owns an airplane so he can fly her places. He's her p- private... She's a big business lady. Yeah. She's, she's got a big merger that, that that's under wraps that I assume is going to make her millions and, and millions. he's going to fly her around the world to get her to meetings and shit. Yeah. We can do a quick jump through like the very, very beginning of the plot because you did talk about the dog sperm. Yes. And th- there is some there is some context to that. It's not good context. No. It's not, it's it not a solid footing. But the I feel like the way you laid it out is that we just open to like dog sperm hitting us in the face. <laughs> That's the way I saw it, baby. That's the way I saw it. So basically we have that opening scene with the parents being run off their feet. They get the kids to bed. They lie in bed and John Travolta initiates intercourse with his wife, Kirstie Alley. And she's kind of like, really? Like the kids are not even asleep yet. And he's like, I really want to have sex. (laughs) So they kind of like roll over each other. And we like, we pan out the window down onto the street where there's this like down and uh, yeah, uh, Nick called him a Lothario (laughs) dog, but he's more of like a, construction worker type whistles at any woman that walks by type dog right a creepy dog yeah, he's, he's creepy hitting on dog. people and he and he and he hits on this female dog and he says i think he straight up goes like you know i gotta go to the vet tomorrow and it's not looking good i don't think i'm gonna make it and then and then um this female dog is like oh really so then yeah i guess they have sex and we hear elvis's song hound dog and then we see is it puppets of dog sperm? Is it? No, it's not CGI, it CGI, right? Like, it was. It, I it mean, can't be I'm that, wrong. That's not CGI. That's no. That's people no. with little ninety ninety two. They got a real camera and inserted into a um, dog. Well, let's hope <laughs> filmed the sperm that sequence. Talking I don't know if you know this, but that sequence is the beginning of every Look Who's Talking movie. Mm, true. So every Look Who's Talking has that same thing. Okay. I found this one to be the most evident that it was a shit show. Because, like, I felt <laughs> fine with all the other sperm sequences. But then I was like, oh, dog cup. Yeah. 
I'm not yeah. in. Yeah, just the concept of dog <laughs> yeah. cum is it's just filthy. And it's not just dog cum, but it's like the sperms are all swimming through the body and talking to each other and be like, hey, I'm going to go over there. Ah, ah, they don't know that there's another egg over here. Let's jump into that one. And they're just so disgusting. Like, it really is gross. Yeah. <laughs> they rent, made a real meal out of the idea that there were yeah. multiple yeah. eggs to yeah. be fertilized yeah. in a way that I found off-putting. It was gross. Then there's a whole bunch of, of dog babies that get born and they're all suckling at, like, the mother's teat. And Danny DeVito's like, I can see wrinkly butts. And then they're like, they're your brothers and sisters. And then he's like, oh, that makes me the cute one. And that's basically Danny DeVito's character, who is called Rox, but I'd prefer to call Doggy DeVito. <laughs> Dog, I was Dog thinking Vito? Danny DeVito. Oh, uh, Diane K9. No. Yes. <laughs> How does Diane K9 come into the picture? She's she's like the dog of John Travolta's boss, isn't she? That's. Yeah. That's how she fits in. We have that stuff where John Travolta goes to a really important job interview. He meets his boss. She's a hot blonde 30-year-old. She offers him the job. At the same time, Kirstie Alley loses her job. And so he really knows that he needs this job. And and it's going to require him to fly around the world and you know be away from his family quite a bit. And we're not not only do they have kids, but it's also about to be Christmas time. So that's that's like a, a big point of drama in this film. It's a Christmas movie. It's a big yeah. one. There's it a is. lot of Christmas Straight songs in yeah. it. I don't, I don't know. It's so, so that sort of a little bit seemed incidental as well, like the dogs. It's like every 15 minutes you were reminded, oh, yeah, it's Christmas. It reminded me of uh, Shane Black, the filmmaker... Yeah. Who set, he sets most of his movies at Christmas and he's talked about it publicly. He's like, yeah, it just adds stakes to things. You know? <laughs> just makes everything yeah. seem more important if it's Christmas. Right. And it gives it like an excuse to play it on TV once mm. a year mm. as well. Mm-hmm. Make, ba- make that extra $10 million that they lost out on the bu- uh, on recouping. Mm, play it <laughs> yeah. around June, make people really miss Christmas. <laughs> the only reason it's set during Christmas is just so they have a reason that John Travolta should want to get back to his family at the end when he has to do a job with his boss, Samantha, and fly her around. And that's that's the only part that the Christmas part really comes in. Yeah, The, the sexy young Samantha seems to be trying to win John Travolta over through the whole film, right? Uh, a little bit and like she's quite flirty and then she pretends on Christmas Eve that she's got some meeting she needs to go to. Otherwise, what was it like? Was it 30,000 people? Or no, 3,000 people will be 3, laid off. Would lose their and job. so she guilts him into flying her to some place. I don't know. Where was it? Like a cabin in Aspen a, or a something. A cabin in Aspen, which for some reason they have to fly to, but later on his wife manages to drive to from their house yeah. anyway. It can't be too and far And it turns away. out she's just like, she, she, she's just trying to seduce him. There is no meeting. Yeah. What a dreadful ruse. Do you guys feel that if she had played it even... One percent cooler, she might have gotten somewhere. Like, like if her plan had been even slightly less extreme, you know, than, attempt, than attempting to kidnap him from his family on Christmas. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> her undoing was the moment that John Travolta found that the phone had been unplugged from the wall. So if she had just shifted like a telephone yeah. cabinet or something in front of that, so that he hadn't seen, that's all it would have taken. Just a little bit more sneakiness, I think. A little bit more Some sneakiness. More sneakiness. That's right. I find that like she's ostensibly the villain of this picture yeah but she's just like a hot 30 year old blonde millionaire <laughs> and her goal is to just have sex with john yeah, Travolta. yeah. that's like, it it feels like she didn't need she to is to, diabolical she didn't need to trick him into a cabin she probably could have just said like 
uh, like, can I just suck you off? And I'll, maybe I'll even pay you for it. Like, I, I don't know. But, but Declan, John Travolta in this movie is is lovely and good. He cannot be he cannot yeah. be corrupted. Pie. The entire plot pie. hinges on his uh, incorruptibility. He's also completely naive. A fool, to it, an idiot, like, a moron. Um, he, yeah. he a true, a true, yeah. a true dunce. A rube. I have faith that if I called my female partner and said. My hot boss wants to suck me off and she's willing to pay for it. Let's figure out a price together, especially now that you're unemployed and we could use the money. We're in a recession. We could come to an agreement. Think of how many talking dogs we could buy. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, we're jumping a lot around this movie, but it doesn't really... I don't really care. I mean, it's not like it was a good experience. As far as experiences, just quickly, how, how did you find this one uh it was on my computer that's, that's good uh i i mean i found this on youtube i actually paid for this one i owe you two dollars but i found it boring it was it was it was pretty boring unfortunately which which again was a shame for me because i do remember really liking it as a kid i don't know i can't imagine what i liked about it as a kid because it's kind of like i think all the good beats and the funny jokes are for the adults and some of them, I mean, it's been a really long time. There were some, you know, sort of like vaguely familiar scenes and stuff. And the ones that I remember liking were the adult scenes with the adult jokes. But I would have been quite young. That's what I don't get about um, these these kind of tomatoes. Yeah. It's like, this is aimed at young kids, right? Like yeah. 6 to 12 or something, I would assume. Why is the plot about like a mother and a father who may want to cheat on each other and like the drama that comes from that? I feel clearly it was the filmmakers. That's just where the filmmakers were at. Yeah. Again, they were desperate to make a film about their 30 something experience. Um, and uh, they uh, had, yeah, the, the, Movie that was financed and had a production slot and a release window was a third Look Who's Talking film, mm. and uh, they were like, "We can, we can make that work. We can get these, we can get these talking dogs uh, to be the perfect, you know." In a way, it's almost like a like a European art house cinema, cinema approach to have this, you know, uh, seemingly surrealistic uh, device on the outside that is acting as an, as a metaphor for the interior life. Of the characters, you know, as as Declan, you you made made me see it when you talked about how the scene of um, Travolta and uh, Ali, uh, you know, him pestering her into sex, and then we zoom out and see the dog pestering the other dog into sex. I'm like, oh, actually, that's that's Fellini esque levels of of brilliance, oh, wow. of symbolism. We're all just street dogs in the end, aren't we? Wanting to get laid. You know what? Yeah. Back in the '90s, when it was funny to um, trick women into having sex with you. Yeah. <laughs> Or trick men. Back in the day. I just, I find like the only appeal to the kids for me is like, hey, these dogs are funny and they're like kind of rude and gruff and one of them's really prissy and the other one's not. But are young kids even finding it funny that Danny DeVito's like walking around like, you know, I've sniffed a lot of butts in my time or he's like... No, it's not happening. If they're laughing at dogs, it's happening over at those Beethoven movies. I'm telling these you. Dogs right. aren't oh, yeah, that's even, where the kids aren't even are hitting these days. Basketballs into hoops. They could have merged those two. We could have had an Air Bud sequel here. There are other movies with talking dogs in them, aren't there? Beethoven doesn't talk, right? No, Air Bud doesn't talk either. They just play sports. I thought there was another one. Milo and Otis talk. They both There's talk. a Cats and Dogs movie where they talk, I think. That's what I'm thinking of. What's the one where they go up a mountain and they have to get back home? Brokeback Mountain? Babe. Alive. The film Alive. 
Uh, there's. I was just thinking of the fox in that Lars von Trier film. That oh uh, god, yeah, that's that's a talk, antichrist. That's close to a talking dog. Yeah, antichrist. Yeah. That's that ca- yeah, that's kind of no, counts. That counts. Mm. That's that's. Something. I remember when at the end of this film when Kirsty Alley picked up a rusty pair of scissors and <laughs> <laughs> she was on the edge. Um, guys, I feel like I need to make a make a full disclosure at this point as a guest at, as a guest in your house. You wrote this fair. movie, didn't you? I <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but. I really enjoyed watching this movie. I found this this utterly. I'm so glad to hear it. I found this utterly beguiling. (laughs) I was um, very, I was very prepared to come into for a situation where I was going to watch a film that I devoured as as a small child and see it not hold up. But literally from that first corridor scene where I was like, oh, they're so harried. These kids, these kids are out of control. And um, yeah, I thought I thought the dialogue was uh, was pithy. I thought the the um, the actors were doing very committed and game work. Yeah. I thought um, yeah, every every ridiculous filmmaking choice uh, that connected very little to every other filmmaking <laughs> choice uh, was still such a. It was that it, it's a it was a film of big choices. Really, it was a film of ambition. Some <laughs> might call it a, some might call it several films of ambition competing with each other. But in a way that uh, had me hooked. Particularly, I was already having a good time, and then the sudden third act shift into life and death stakes <laughs> out of nowhere, in a, in just the most ill advised way for the tone that was first set. Um, just had yeah had had me just romping romping to the end, which as as was just pointed out was uh, soundtrack by some delightful early 90s uh, treatments of some Christmas standards. I'll tell you another choice that that got me pretty interested was young kids who are the target audience for this, they believe in Santa Claus. There's a the young boy in this who's probably, I don't know, seven years old, let's say. Although he has a weird, fully grown man vibe that I, I, yeah. I admit I found him kind of terrifying. Yeah. He discovers that the mall Santa is not the real Santa and his parents half cover it up and are like oh he's just one of santa's cousins don't worry but he's like you guys are full of shit i don't believe in any of this anymore and it's like quite a heartbreaking you know coming of age story for this kid but yeah. are kids watching this and being like whoa mum, like what is going on now at the end it does come full circle and and we bring it back and, and they and he does end up believing in santa again but for like 80 minutes of this yeah it basically tells you santa isn't real and that people are lying to you about it. It was kind of a subtler. I it, we, again, the only subtle thing in this film, maybe like his um his turn at the end was not because I was expecting oh he'll just believe in Santa again, but it was it was a bit of a different thing. It was like this kind of nice thing where he, what he ultimately decides is that he's going to keep the uh, illusion of Santa um, for his younger sister. It's like a little mm. bit, the little bit of him being like oh giving her an excuse for how Santa can find him with the special radar. I was like oh that was kind of um. Uh, yeah, satisfying, but it does it raises the point you were saying before, which is like this film is absolutely positing to its to its tiny audience that Santa Claus isn't real. That's why I don't think these films are <clears throat> totally aimed at, at kids, right? There's a lot of adult ish humor in them, and I th- I actually had to go and and double check. I thought the first one was an M rated film, but it, it's not. It's PG. But yeah. Is this part of why it was so poorly received? Is yeah. it just that was it, they should was have it, taken it, it further into M territory and really <laughs> gone harder there, I reckon. Once the dogs Mature once the dogs one. have ejaculated. <laughs> yeah. I do wonder if do you think a, a film like this would get a bad review from critics if the critics were like I watched this with my kid and you, you told him Santa wasn't real. Like <laughs> fuck this movie. 
I think that the problem with this movie is possibly that it's a bit like a you know it's a clumsy magician it's it's showing you it's a lot of sleight of hand but you're like i'm looking in a lot of directions and i don't i don't see magic we've got <laughs> what about the chipmunk yeah. scene what about when they what about okay. when the family okay. yeah, that was sick i love that <laughs> and the chipmunks that yeah. was movie to bring magic. back the joy of uh into little mikey's heart and uh they just fail yeah and it may it was upsetting to me i did not it was one of my Least favorite scenes of the entire film. It was <laughs> again because the kid, the son, he has just such a creepy uh, older person energy. Yeah. It's like it was like George Costanza reacting. Yeah, he to just the, yeah to the chipmunks being mine. He is not buying it. He's got well. I mean, the child is from a popular nineties uh, television show, Seventh Heaven. He was the little boy. Uh, who the um, who... I mean, as a there was a dog in that show. They should have given that dog a voice. Happy. Was that the that dog, dog was ready to lead a film. All right. How cute was the little? What girl they should in have done in Seventh though? Heaven is they should have they should have had um, Danny DeVito play the voice of God. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and he works in the, he works in each episode like Wilson in Home Improvement, where he just gives them the advice to solve the problem. That's right. Yeah. I loved the little girl, uh, uh, just the, the actor so and, yeah, and she the was performance. Good. Julie, she must have been like four years old in this, and she was she was cracking jokes. She was telling like setup punchline jokes. There was one point where she, I think, she does a knock knock joke to her brother, and she's just like buck and he's like buck who and then she just goes buck buck i'm a chicken and he goes oh mom can i kill her and she goes yeah. not before dinner honey great yeah, nice family moment yeah and i think it's a family movie it's not so, a kid's movie it's a family you know you used to go to video easy or video 2000 or even god forbid a civic yeah, video and they'd yeah. have a family section and an adventure section and a kid section you never go to any of those sections but i think this one would have sat square in the middle of a family section that's right yeah 10 year old kids <laughs> yeah. A four-quadrant yeah. pitcher, as they would say. <laughs> we have a pre-Space Jam, famous NBA basketballer showing some kids how it's done. And uh, for some reason, the four-year-old girl in this movie is just obsessed with watching this Charles Barkley like NBA old tape on repeat, I think. Mm. Which her parents are quite disturbed by. Yeah. I don't think they're fully on board. I think that's going to manifest itself in a weird sexual way as she comes of age, but we don't need to go there. Okay. <laughs> okay. An obsession with VHS sexually. If and she comes of age, and she what has- do you think's going to happen to her? <laughs> <laughs> the the brother's going to kill her. talking also, the fourth film <laughs> in the know. series. It's a dead person talking. Is it when she starts by hearing wolves. voices? And she- <laughs> the sixth sense. It's the beginning of the sixth no, sense. No, that's, that's the sixth one in the franchise. Yeah. Look who's talking sense. from Look beyond the grave. Things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there is a point where this little kid just has a straight up fantasy sequence, like basically imagines herself inside this this VHS and she just like dunks on Charles Barkley. <laughs> no, well, she goes flying over him, like yeah, drop, drops the, the ball. Stand. Does that ever come back? Because I was like, oh, she's going to be upset. No. She's going she's no, to like make I some shot. That- 
in this her dad in this movie. figures out that, she, or her mum figures out that it's because she loves flying. She loves the concept of flying so much. Mm. She's like, "Oh, do you think the basketball players can fly?" And she's like, "Yeah." And she's like, "No, they can't." I do fly. remember that, but that's different because what happens there is Kirstie Alley's like looking after her, but she's on the phone, and mm. in the background, her daughter climbs up this very tall cabinet and basically just like puts her arms yeah, out and yeah, free yeah. falls onto the couch, and then she's like, "What were you doing?" And she's like, "I was trying to fly." She's like, "Oh." We can't fly. Basketball people fly. She's like, no, they just jump. Well, Daddy flies. Yeah, he flies a plane, and that's it. Is See, again, this payoff? is some this is some genius uh, symbolic filmmaking in terms of it shows it's it's uh, just such an elegant and neat way to show that the daughter is pining, even though she hasn't been demonstrating the pining for her dad the way that the brother has. Clearly, it's been sub- the subliminal uh, driver of all of her behaviors. This movie is brilliant. I'm going to love if at the end of this, you just give it like a one and a half. Like <laughs> yeah. Deep exploration and like praising the intricacies and the subtleties of the filmmaking choices. You're just like, ah, this gets half a point. It's, it's, where, yeah. Where do, you, where do you see my um, uh, extremely granular breakdown of the use of uh, light and color in the film? Dude, dude where's my car? <laughs> what do the dogs actually do until the last act? Like, is there any... There's they meet there, up. Right? They go on a date together. They get to know each other. They start to like each other. That's even right. Even though cause... they're such opposites. Oh, we should say as well. Uh, so, like, maybe 30, 40 minutes into this, the kid who doesn't believe in Santa, John Travolta's like, I kind of need to distract him and I got to get him a good Christmas present. So, let's get him a dog. And he, he doesn't even tell Kirstie Alley, but he takes his son to go get a dog. They go to the pound. Of course, that's where Doggy DeVito has ended up after being on the streets. Danny DeVito. Dog. And he... Dog Vito. He brings he brings the dog home and and the kids playing with it and Kirstie Alley's about to say something but right before they get home, Samantha Travolta's boss has come over and been like, "We I heard your kid wanted a dog. I've brought you like this fancy French poodle that's all fluffy and weird and white and that one's played by Diane Keaton. I think this one's Daphne the dog and of course Danny DeVito's character is just called Rox, which is like the best name yeah. for a dog. So suddenly they have two dogs when they when they really didn't want any and they hate each other cuz they're, they're a real odd couple. They call right. each other mongrel, they call each other bitch. They really like get into it because it's like, you know, the prissy upper class dog versus the dirty street dog. One thing that we should mention as well, they haven't made any effort in this film to synchronize the movement of the dog mouth with what they're saying, but there are moments where Diane Keaton like lashes out or at least the dog, the the dog like jumps around and the mouth moves and it's very frightening and and off-putting because it feels like she's yelling right at you for those moments but for the majority of the film their mouths don't move at all Uh, so yeah he he, the 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 boy dog wins over the girl dog eventually by he introduces her to mud and because they go out for a date and he's like yeah sorry about this but you're gonna have to walk through some mud and she's like Damn, this mud's making me wet, girl. That's right. That's verbatim what she says. Um, and she she likes the mud. Uh, and then it turns out, you know what? If I like mud, maybe I like you too, your scruffy old dog. But that's yeah. that's literally all that really does happen until they both save the day, right? Well, we were talking about dream sequences before with the basketball. We haven't even touched on the fact that. Uh, the mummy and daddy character both have synchronized <laughs> lucid dreams about the other one. It's incredible. So they're having a dream about the other one cheating on them and then 
when those two dreams are happening at the same time and we get to see as well them in their beds like thrashing around having the bad dreams so we can see who's having which bad dream about each other anyway the mum walks into the dad's dream yeah. and they continue having their dream in a collective Together. subconscious. It's but really cool. they're still dreaming they of each other. They do this split screen thing where there's the two dreams finally are like connecting and they're both with another couple like split screen and then you realise it's not actually a split screen. It's just two sets next to each other with a that divider. That was cool. And Kirstie Alley walks from one dream into the other. There's moments like this that were just silly and dumb and funny and there were a few moments like this that I thought were really good, but I don't know, maybe I was just tired or something. It didn't quite hit me the way that I feel like they should have. Because they're cool novel ideas. Useful context is the fact that um, Travolta and Kirstie Alley are both at a Thetan level in Scientology <laughs> where they, they can lucidly co-dream. They can actually uh, do that. With, with, any, with ever, anyone who's at a similar Thetan this level. Is where, this is what um, I wanted to touch on as well. I mean, at this point, they're really in it, right? Like they're, You mean at, this, at the point of this movie being made? At the point in 1993, that's like... I mean, hip deep. Yeah, yeah. They're they're irradiating Thetan energy. They've lived multiple lifetimes. They've 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 gone clear. I'm not sure at at this point whether or not John. They have Travolta, a license to kill. Yeah, yeah. I was. You knew exactly where I was going with that. Um, um, at this point, I would say that John Travolta has killed though. You can just there's something about it where. You know, it's when... <laughs> yeah, he shot Marvin in the face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that hasn't happened yet. That's that's like the next year. Has he got his own hair still in this movie? I, I don't, I'm really bad at knowing when he has hair or not. No, that's... Impossible to say. That's plugs. That's, mm. that's it's plugs? 100% that's plugs. He's definitely aged a lot since staying alive. Like, he's he looks the way I recognize him kind of nowadays. You know, staying alive, he was, like, so young and fit. This one, he's put on a bit of weight. I guess he's in his 30s. His hair does, yeah, could yeah. could be a toupee at this point. Still very light on his feet. Mm. In the dance in the dance sequence, he's, st- he's still cutting it up. And yes. he has a kind of, he has a very bouncy energy through the whole film. We get another truly rotten dance sequence, yeah. a, a samba of sorts. Yeah, that was good. That was during the multi-lucid dream sequence as well mm-hmm. that they were yes. doing that. Those were some fun scenes. I like the, I like the whimsical fantasy, like reminded me a bit of the mask yeah. or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Let's pump the foot on the accelerometer or accelerator uh, and, and fast forward to the end of the movie where John Travolta on Christmas Eve has been tricked into going off to the mountains, some beautiful snowy mountains, to a beautiful mansion with this woman, his boss. She's brought in there under false pretenses. She's pulled, she's cut he's the phone nothing line. But faithful. That's right. He, he just wants to get home to his kids, but he's doing it so that people don't He's been a sweetie. Lose he's their been job. a cutie pie. So, so, and he's trying to call home to tell them what's going on and he can't get through. And then Kirsty Alley <clears throat> does some digging by calling around and finds out that actually he's not at a meeting with this person that she said they would be meeting with because he's in some other country. So she's like, fuck this, we're going to go find this cheating bastard. And and she throws the kids into the car along with the dogs and they somehow drive to wherever they are. It's it's important to say as well that uh, Samantha, the boss, has been sneakingly conniving, trying to trick Travolta into, I guess, sleeping with her. Travolta has not 
picked up on this at all, but Kirsty Alley has felt it and she's brought it up and he's like, baby, there's nothing to worry about. You're crazy. That's just my boss. You know, I'm just working. But now we know that she was actually correct. Samantha has like disconnected phone lines, stopped the fax machine, or she makes a a fake fake fax fax, and she's like, and she's like, yeah, I'm trying to put this merger through. And if we don't put it through tonight, if we don't sign this thing with this guy, then I'm going to have to fire 3,000 people. And he's like, oh, but I don't, I'm not working because it's Christmas Eve. I'm going to be with my family. She's like, I need you to fly me to this remote cabin to sign this thing with this guy. Otherwise, 3,000 people will lose their lives. And he really reluctantly agrees because he he tries every other opportunity to get anyone else to help. No one will help. And so he has to let his family down, not be there on Christmas for his job. But he doesn't know that he's walking right into that honey trap. Despite just the huge moves that the boss has made, the the big bold swings of planning every I mean, just the mm. just the fact that her seduction plan involved um donating her dog to the family in an attempt in, in an attempt That's to right. insert herself. She really wants to <laughs> Yeah, fuck like this what guy. is what is her life outside <laughs> of this like, is it just that she's had everything? I feel like the movie is positing that she's had everything that she wants up to, this, up to this point That's in her it. life. And yeah, and now she wants and what that she she's, can't And have. also that, you know, she just wants, maybe that she also just wants to corrupt the incorruptible, which as we've, which as we've stated, the movie is clearly made clear <laughs> yeah. that is John Travolta, uh, just, despite That's his right. continual thoughtlessness and tone deaf actions a la buying a dog without consulting <laughs> his long suffering <laughs> wife. Now I have a question to you guys, and this is a legit question. Would Samantha have been so sexually attracted to Travolta if he'd worn the light-up brazen tie that he had in that opening scene <laughs> that his wife didn't let him wear to the job interview because it was like making noises and buzzing and color lights? Absolutely. I mean, if you cast your mind back to the way that he even got this job to begin with, it was through charm and pure charisma. He, he brought her. out the real Johnny. He showed her the real John. Also, though, Declan again highlights just just a brilliant piece of subtlety in this <laughs> uh, in the in this stunningly well well woven film, which is yeah, basically uh, that idea that Kirsty in nudging nudging him to not wear the tie sets the entire plot in motion in terms of changing his status, uh, putting his status in the story world up here and hers down there. You could almost make uh, a sliding doors kind of movie where if he wore the tie, this would have <laughs> happened. If he doesn't wear the tie, this happens. Sliding ties. Tiding doors. Also, just the sign. You know, just the, the sign of that. Really, so so much of what so much of what his boss covets is the beauty of the co-constructed person that is Kirstie Alley and John Travolta together as an unbeatable team. Yes. Co-lucid dreaming. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we have we have Kirstie Alley uh, decides, you know, if daddy can't come to Christmas, Christmas is going to come to daddy. Gets the whole family in the car. She I love somehow, that expression. She, she, she drives up to the to where the cabin is. That old adage. But they get to a point where they, they have to stop the car for some reason and there's a wolf. Uh, and there's this wolf in the snow and it's like going to attack The car them. slides off the road. Yeah, she loses a bit of control, doesn't she? She has a car slide. Yeah, and then and she's like kind of going head to head with the wolf. Now we we get to hear the the voice car of the wolf. Doors. The sweet inner monologue of that wolf. And that wolf is like Oh my god. going to kill that it. That is MVP <laughs> of the movie. I love that. Hey guys, what it's kind me, of accent the is wolf. That? I was like I thought the wolf was to me I could, I could just be me having um uh had this pointed out to me recently about a lot of pop culture, but the wolf seemed uncomfortably gay coded to me. So uh, gay. Seemed, he did. Yeah, had a real had a real sheriff of Nottingham. Oh, he had a list, didn't he? It does feel just that little bit 
uncomfortable. But again, opens with dog cum. So what were you expecting? <laughs> That's true. And closes with a wolf attack, a full boar <laughs> yeah. wolf attack. With a wolf so fight we sequence. That and it's up beautiful. Up until this point... Uh, rocks the dog, Doggy DeVito, DeVito has, dog. has been eating Kirstie Alley's shoes. He's been peeing everywhere around the house, and he has never learned to even do basic things like sit or stay. But when the wolf is going to attack, Rock steps up to the plate and he's like, yo, you want some of this? Let's do it. And they go head to head and we get a sweet slow motion wolf versus dog fight. Michael Vick would have wet his pants. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I didn't see anything after this point. For some reason, this is exactly where I tuned out of the movie. I was like watching it peripherally from this point on. So I'll be very interested to find out what what, how this concludes. You're ordering food. I'm not. I'm not sure if it was stated, but because the car flew off the road, the family's stuck inside their car, and they're about to get mauled by these wolves. And then Rox oh, yeah, jumps yeah. out of the car to save the day and fight the wolf off, which he does successfully. Um, thus, he uh, bites it, its tail and then goes, "Never yeah. mess with a street dog." <laughs> I I will say, um, it is. I felt that Kirsty Alley's choice to drive into a blizzard with the. <laughs> With the with the entire family on Christmas Eve was horribly reckless yeah, yeah. and mm. irresponsible. Yeah. Also, here's a question: Why did she bring the dogs? Yeah, no, other right. than other than the need, yeah, other I, than the I, need I for them to be that. in the final act, she left her mother <laughs> back at the house, mm. but brought the but brought yeah, the dogs. Yeah, bring the kids. Why did I mean? Did she bring the kids? Because if she legitimately thought she was going to walk in on Travolta like banging his his yeah. boss in a cabin. <laughs> <laughs> Did she want her two kids to be like? I she knew wanted it. the kids and it. the dogs to see that. <laughs> I would too. I would too. That's how. That's how I would play it. It's the only way to get a clean divorce is to be like we all saw what happened in there. <laughs> only counts if the dogs and the kids see it. <laughs> or maybe she just knows that that's his fantasy, and she's like, "Well, if I have the opportunity, I'm going to carry it out." Is this movie over? No, so, so then the, then Rox teaches the fancy posh dog that actually you're a dog, you're not a posh dog, and you can use your sense of smell like us other dogs. Why don't you go uh. sniff out some help? So she does just that. She goes and finds some police somehow and gets them to come and rescue Kirsty Alley and the kids. Meanwhile, somehow, and I maybe I was not paying attention, but, but, but Rox fucks off in a different direction and comes across John Travolta and um, Boss Lady in their house. And John Travolta's like, what are you doing here? Um, and I can't remember really what happens after that, honestly. I think he's holding Samantha and he's like maybe even about to kiss her. He's kind of like dipping her. And then he looks sadly resigned to being seduced. Yeah. I yeah. guess I'll have to <laughs> yeah. have sex with this. He's woman. like, look, uh, I'm I'm 90% seduced here. Like, just just close the deal on me. But then he hears the barking of rocks in the background, and he's like, "That's my dog," and he just dumps her on the ground. And then he has sex with the dog. It's, it's so weird. <laughs> no, then they then there's a second wolf attack. This, it, is, the ending right. gets so extra. <laughs> yeah, so they're walking through the snow. He follows. He follows Rox back to his family. I suppose he just assumes like, uh, well, if Rox is here, my family's here, so I'll follow him. And you're right. The pack of wolves. So this time, the gay African American dog comes back, but he's got a pack of wolves with him. We don't really see what happens after that. It looks like they're about to sick him. <laughs> but does he has some... It was set up earlier in the film that he's got some... I don't know what it is, like a beeper, maybe? 
Yeah, pager. There's a beeper and the dogs find the noise of the beeper insufferable. Yeah. And so the beeper goes off in his pocket and it scares away the wolves, I think. It all explained as backstory after the fact because they, right. they, cer- <laughs> they certainly did not have the wherewithal to shoot that as a scene. No. They had the werewolves, no. but not the wherewithal. That's the same way that X vs. Sever ended with a remote control <laughs> destroying the villain. Oh, shit. Okay. And then finally, John Travolta's reunited with his. So I'm tr- really just trying to get through. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. We're, we're right <laughs> He's reunited right with here. the family. They end up in like, a sh- in like a sheriff's office kind of dearly, don't they? Yeah. The sheriff is like, hey, listen to the radio. And he turns it up, and you hear sleigh bells are ringing. And he's like, look, Santa's real. And that then that story gets you know finished off nicely. Yeah, and the kids see, like, oh wow, like, that doesn't make sense. Just because the kids heard some shit on the radio that now Santa's yeah. real again. Like, ah, oh, there's a sound on For the radio. For me, what I really took from that is that the son decides to go along with it, and that okay. is the end of the arc for his freakish uh, adult child uh, character and form <laughs> and face. <laughs> it's a ballsy move. I'm telling you, having a kids movie that tells all the kids who watch it Santa is not real without having a twist of being like, but his cousin, Sinti Klaus, is real. So you can still believe at the end. Maybe they cast that kid in that kid with the strange looking face in the movie just so that if kids saw it, they wouldn't trust him anyway. There so you he, go. he spends the whole movie <laughs> telling them that Santa Claus is not real and kids are like, I'm not going to believe this ugly, weird, blonde kid. I think that's it, right? Not literally, literally nothing. There's no like. It's, um, it's it. As it's post done. Sum, summing up, it, it, it ends in um. What happens to the dogs? Did anything happen no, with the dogs? No, nothing happens. <laughs> they get basically like there's rocks who has been on thin ice about whether he gets to stay in the family because he's so oh, badly yeah. behaved. He he gets to, he he gets welcomed into the bosom of the family once and for all. After literally all he has to do is uh, fight off ten wolves, which feels a little <laughs> a little bit more than Travolta ever had to do to to get to stay in the bosom of the family. So he was going to be thrown out until he fought <laughs> off those wolves and proved himself in that That's freakish, it. like spontaneous yes. attack. Oh, he also was taught by Daphne how to sit. How to stay, how to lie oh, yeah, down, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so at the end he's doing those things, and Travolta's like, "See," and then she's like, "Fine, he can stay." So you beauty, um, and that's 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 him in. He's in the family. We also get this uh, lovely song by a guy called John Hyatt oh. called "Have a Little Faith." I in love me. that song. Dear God, I loved. It. <laughs> I think I remember it. It was really emotional. It really got me. Should I know this song yeah, other than I don't know. from You just the, don't really film? hear songs like that. Like, is that a, is that a well-known song? I don't think so. It, who is that? John Hyatt. I feel like it was in other films. I I could be really wrong, but it had a real it had a real <laughs> yeah, like. I could say that. Wait, was that Have a Little Faith? Hmm. Yeah. It had a real, I've That's, seen this over this, exactly this right. type of scene in several other films. Yeah, yeah. yeah. very I, familiar. I must, we, we must, must have been on a CD growing up, Morgan, because I really remember it. And, and yeah. I, yeah. I reckon you hear songs like that in TV shows, like at the end of the episode, they have a montage. It sounds like yeah. something like, that JD yeah, exactly. would do a monologue over in Scrubs. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I will say that Roger Ebert um, once said that it looks like it was chucked up by an automatic screenwriting machine. And I would say that that, that is pretty accurate. I mean, 
every scene, every plot point. You know, it, it felt pretty similar to a lot of movies on this list. You know, the evil man-stealing uh, character felt reminiscent of uh, Return to the Blue Lagoon. But I can tell you, Morgan... I can tell you that Have a Little Faith in Me by John Hyatt was also covered by probably your favourite artist, Mandy Moore, and that's what you're getting confused with. Uh, Morgan uh, likes Mandy. Morgan likes Mandy. How embarrassing. Mm. Can I have a little more Mandy, he would say as a child? In fairness, she's a class act. I would say that. Why? She is. Why is this slander being directed at me? Why are, <laughs> why are these false rumours just being thrown <laughs> in front of me? What about uh, yeah. Mandy Dawes? Yeah. Like sliding doors, but Mandy Dawes. Mandy Dawes. <laughs> Does that work? <laughs> what would that sound like? What about... Morgan, do your impression of the sound of sliding doors. What about Mandy Dorking? No, you can't thing? do that one. <laughs> all right. Come on, <laughs> That's man. That's cheating. All right, all right. Um, so let's let's uh, go around and, and um, get our ratings now. I think yeah. I'm going to start off. Hold on. Can we just tell Nick, we rate the films. We don't rank them, okay? So it's not your podcast. There's no <laughs> ranking involved. Yeah. You don't have to tell me that ranking isn't for everybody. Uh, not everyone Not everyone has uh, what that takes. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Kick right. him off the chat. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I, that is far too much pressure. But I'm I'm gonna give I'm gonna kick us off with an easy old two out of ten. Fuck Luke, who's talking now? More like look, look at uh, look at this piece of shit. Um, wow. Two out of ten. <laughs> Bring them down. Straight. So down. just a two out of ten. The- yeah, two out of ten. Let's uh let's get these uh, ratings clockwise. <laughs> yes, that means me next. Come on, go around the boy. Look at your clocks, boys. Yeah, go around the horn. I'm gonna give this one a nice and svelte. You know what's hard about these is some of these are truly horrendous films, and some of them are just mind-numbing. And this one I found to be the latter. It just was not terrible. The acting was fine. Some of the dialogue was spiffy. You know, I like that song at the end. Have a little faith. Um, but it was really dull, Why so not? I'm gonna give it a 4.5. No. Okay. Okay. Declan did something really, really handy, and he um because I'm terrible with this, I can never remember what I've given. Cause, cause similar to your podcast, actually, uh, Nick, the I I kind of need to remember what I've rated previous films to figure out where this film does slot. Cause, cause they all I do, they're all like measured against each other. But Declan put together a list of everything that we've reviewed so far and what I've given each review, and so I can look at this list and I can tell you that I'm going to give this a. 4.1. Wow. So just 4. above 1. Jaws the Revenge. Oh, no, that's... Uh, I, I revised that. I'll make it a 3.9. <laughs> <laughs> just below not Jaws quite, the Revenge. What did we yeah. say? We said no ranking, Hayden. No ranking. God damn oh, well, it. I kind of have to. It's the, the one so, rule. Again, again, some people's brains work in this way. You know what I'm saying? All right. Okay. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Expect to hear from my lawyer. And also, <laughs> also I'm very proud of you. <laughs> Oh, oh, that's All right, I'm going to jump in next. Um, I hated the first 15 to 20 minutes of this, and I was really like, it reminded me why I hate doing this podcast. But <laughs> after that, I kind of I kind of softened into it, and I was like, man, Danny DeVito's actually saying some funny things here. John Travolta and Kirstie Alley had some funny things. I kind of got into the charm. I ended up, I, I like this quite a lot. I gave it a, a 5.1. 
Wow, so that's okay. just below Highlander the Quickening for you. Oh, no, sorry, okay. my bad. Problem Child. Just below Problem Child. Yeah, right. Problem Child's my favorite so far, and then this is. is this is probably next. Nice. Hayden, before we get Nick's rating, can I just find out, is Highlander my highest rated film or um, tomato so far? Yes, it is. Yeah, 7.5. 7.5. Morgan, what were you thinking? It was a good movie. I liked that film. It was great. I liked that there was something a little strong about that <laughs> film. If, if you remember the end of the Highlander podcast, it ends with me just like screaming "fuck you" at Morgan yeah. because of how high he rated it. Nick, what did you think? What did you think of this tomato? I, so the context, the necessary context for my ranking is the fact that after I watched this, um, I went uh, off the deep end watching other nineties comedies uh from the ranging from uh the family end of the spectrum through to this the stoner end of the spectrum and um the thing the the thing that i was noticing again and again that is dated the worst about 90s comedies which obviously is stiff competition was just how many movies had completely thankless roles for the uh female lead or this you know the love interest like how many Mm. times how many movies would just have a uh, just a token character yeah just and you know some fantastic professional actress having to uh act as the shrewish naggy one uh and Mm. well and never getting to make a joke or be funny uh and just trying to tell the person the main character to stop being as entertaining as they were being to the audience (laughs) (laughs) to their lesson and yeah so i mean fundamentally once i once i uh went through a few hours of that i came back in my mind to look who's talking now and came to appreciate the thing i appreciate the most about it which is the tour de force performance by Kirstie Alley which I in a weird she kills it yeah. she kills it and it's kind of a, it's kind of on two levels because she has a license to kill indeed and i mean again it's it's sort of it's sort of obvious that they that you had some uh, women as the screenwriters because it's almost commenting on the role that uh, women in these movies get stuck in because she, the whole, the whole movie has this kind of undercurrent where she is, you can see that she sees herself becoming the naggy, unfun, shitty one. And Travolta is being, Travolta's character is completely thoughtless about the fact that his attempt to keep his zany uh, uh, selfhood is just, is stitching her up again and again. But at the same time, in terms of how Kirstie gets to play it, She's funny. She's you know she gets to be as big and broad as any comic lead in any of these movies. She but you know she uh, keeps it all uh, fine tuned. Like she's you know she's physical. She's verbal. Um, you know she made me she made me feel. I felt like yeah. I like I already said. I felt like I was sucked into the interior existence of an early nineties uh, failing career woman with uh, a hair plugged husband who is hopelessly naive and buys dogs at inappropriate times. And yeah, second to that, Mitch's comment about Ebert's comment, which like, I don't think, to me, this didn't feel like it was regurgitated by a screenwriting machine so much as it was made by a malfunctioning screenwriting AI that was like just spewing (laughs) spewing so many different types of movie (laughs) into the one 90 minute bracket at once in a way that I found uh, like literally ambitious. Like every every piece of ambition was foolhardy, but... Um, in a way that I still really enjoyed and which kept me hooked in. And so, you know, in terms of out of 10, I have to treat 10 as thinking about the best movie I've ever made, ever, ever seen. Whereas this, this <laughs> movie, no, the best movie you've ever made is a 10. <laughs> yes. How does it compare I've- to that? Um, let's, <laughs> you, you just messed up my attempt to, uh, promote the, uh, the film that I've made, which is, which I call, um, uh, dynamics, Nick versus Declan. And, uh, it'll, it'll be, it'll be coming out in May. 
<laughs> it also involves talking dogs. But um, yeah, no, I uh, for me, a movie that's just a batshit uh, collection of overreaching things that are that are interesting and doesn't quite work to me that makes it a classic five point eight. That's a, that's a classic five point eight. Wow. You know, uh, I'm mm. gonna. That was yeah. I I applaud your effort at rationalizing this. <laughs> um, I, I, I had a great time. More, guests are putting in more <laughs> effort than us. <laughs> I know. I know. You, you know. You, you, you actually not, thought They about haven't that been slogged down as much as us. Well, All I had to do was watch one movie and then show yeah. up to this chat. Those are the two yeah. things I've had to do. Mm. I would never do a, this podcast as as an idea that I would have to put myself through in a million We've been years. softened. We've been softened in our old Yeah, age. it's really easy to do the first few with, with enthusiasm and then it will wane That's right. Our, our minds quickly. have been softened. Yeah, yeah. None of our thoughts are coherent anymore. <laughs> we just mumble and garble the rough plot points of yeah. the story. And sort of <laughs> Seeing terrible films like this, like changes your baseline of what a film is and so you find yourself yeah. going well if this is a six or a seven out of ten yeah. like everything else <laughs> must be between seven and ten well mitch and i watched this together last night and then followed it up with a palate cleanser a movie called freaked that i'd never heard of that mitch you put on that was just tremendous oh, that sounds familiar what is that it is a vehicle for alex winter uh who is Half of Bill and Ted uh, with Keanu Reeves, uh, where he plays uh, like a like a shitty actor that's promoting like toxic waste, and then it's yeah, it's got a bunch of classic like uh, uh, like environmentalist gags, like cl- very dated nineties kind of things, um, and then they get sucked into a freak show and turned into freaks, and that that's the basic premise of the movie. But it was originally a vehicle for the butthole surfers, and it's sick. Whoa. It's sick. It's, it's got a best. very Rocco's Modern Life vibe. So, so, so like, what, you say it's a vehicle for the butthole surfers to do what? Just to sell more records, or? Oh, they were originally meant to star in the movie. It was like a, it was like an MTV oh, but they, kind but they, of. They thing. weren't in it. They weren't actually in it in, in okay. the end, All but right, it's great. Uh, hard recommend. <laughs> That's uh, Mitch's recommend of the week. Yeah. Right. And now it's well, my recommend of the week, which is um, <laughs> Mandy Doors. <laughs> Two, the reckoning. <laughs> versus Next Ends. film we've got on the list is A Low Down Dirty Shame. What? Does anyone know anything about this one? I feel like this list <laughs> is somehow self-multiplying and adding more <laughs> movies because I've looked over this list at least a dozen times now and... The last five, apart from this one, I don't know, man. I think you're just making these. I think. Oh, dude. All right. I just clicked on it, which I know is against all rules and regulations, and I'll pay the fine what later. Are you doing, but man? it stars, is written and directed by Keenan Ivory Wayans. Ah. Hell yeah. I was going to say, yeah. I was like, I. Re- I couldn't remember who, but I was like, I rem- I've seen, I saw that movie back when it came out, and it was a. All I can remember is that it was a, one of the most transparent vanity projects. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't remember who by, but I was like, this is this is like a classic, like, um, taste the golden spray, like yeah, a written written directed starred scored um, hairstyles by oh, yeah. all the same person. That's so good. Stoked. I I am so keen for yeah, this. This must this have been one. like the movie he made after I'm gonna get you, sucker. And this is going to be the best. I'm cl- I'm looking through it now. It looks pretty sick. Well, shout out to all my tomato files out there. 
peace out. Good night. All right. All um, right. Thank you so much for coming again, Nick. It was a pleasure having you on the pod. Well, uh, such a good time. Thanks so much, guys. No worries. And your podcast again is called... Thank you so much, man. It's called Rank Ideas. We can't wait to all be a guest on that one. (laughs) Each of you will be on to rank the idea of the other three. Yes. (laughs) I'm just going to be ranking different types of tomatoes. Roma, sun-dried. Those aren't exclusive. Morgan, didn't you have a podcast about Mandy Moore called Wank Ideas? (laughs) 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 What? Why why am I now the guy that Morgan. likes Mandy Moore? Is it because my name Mandy is Morgan? Is that Mandy is that Morgan? Mandy Moore has new music out. It's really good. Uh, that's my record. Oh, that's she? my guest wreck of the week. Get on the new Mandy Moore. Oh wow. wow, guest wreck of the week. Far out. I like Mandy this Mandy Moore. <laughs> can, can, can he can he do that? <laughs> I don't think so. In fact, because he did that, make him make make Nick the guy. I'm make ending Nick the, the show right there.